On Monday, June 7th, 2021, we launched The Word on Long Beach. A team of us sat down and we talked about what we wanted this show to be. It was a show that I actually pitched in my first interview for The Post, a podcast that was mostly focused on the Black community, which up until that point was not properly represented. But I also wanted to tell stories that could touch us all. It feels like just yesterday, but today I would like to tell you about this show, how it came to be, share some of my favorite episodes, and tell you about some exciting news we have coming up. So you think the Democratic Party cares about black people? Believe it or not, Rex, I think that tweet is part of the problem. Do you feel like we could have addressed this homeless issue much sooner? You have to speak a word, make it a good one. Welcome back to The Word. Once again, I'm your host, Jackie Ray. Did you catch the name change? It's a little different. When we first started the show, it was called The Word on Long Beach. I'm going to admit that I struggled with that name at first. Being raised in the church, I thought people would think it was a religious program that was based out of Long Beach. But do you know how many people told myself or my editors or anyone in the newsroom that they had a problem with it? Zero. Not one time has it ever come up. But in my 12 years as a journalist, I found that's the nature of humanity. Sometimes we just create problems where there doesn't have to be any. That seemed to be the case when Long Beach Unified School District wanted to end the Poly High Center for International Curriculum, better known as the CIC Magnet Program. But parents organized very quickly to protest the action, giving me my first topic for the podcast and an opportunity to interview Tyler Hendrickson and Mike Guadabasco who cover the district. And traditionally, the CIC program has been sort of the more diverse magnet program, one of the more diverse magnet programs in the city, um, and a chance for kids who live in the poly neighborhood to take AP classes, um, very high, 100% college acceptance rate. So how did this become public knowledge? Um, and how did the community find out about this? Uh, well, it really centered around the CIC facilitator, uh, Jeff Anui, who'd been there for, for a very long time. And, uh, you know, word, word came down that, you know, that he was no longer going to be involved with the program, which I think raised a lot of eyebrows. And so there's, you know, there was some different stories about uh, what happened, you know, and people were, parents were told that, that he was stepping down to spend more time with his family. And, you know, when, when we talked to, to Jeff for the story, that, that wasn't the case, you know, and so his position had been had been downsized and that that was going to you know necessarily change the, the way the program was structured and the way it looked uh, by not having that facilitator and um at that point you know there were there were some rumblings and and there had been meetings between uh teachers and and district members where they knew that you know there was you know talk of uh, adjustments to the program and um possibly taking away the the magnet distinction that you know has kept CIC and Pace both at Poly has been you know leading academic programs in the city and, and really nationwide. I have a friend that lives in Long Beach and her feeling was this specific program really benefits black and brown communities. So she was taking it very personal, like this might be some racial tension. Did you guys interview people that felt the same? Yeah, I mean, a, a ton of the parents we spoke with, that was sort of their thing was um, historically, if you look at the different magnet programs in the city, like CSC absolutely has been one of the most diverse programs in the city. And so for like we interviewed a ton of kids, we covering sports, which is primarily what we do. Um, CIC sort of always been the athletes magnet. I mean, Willie McGinnis was in CIC, like a, a lot of really prominent Ariana Washington, who is an Olympian um, that we covered out of Poly. And they would all talk about that. Like it was a magnet program that it wasn't the most rigorous magnet program, like the pace program. It allowed you the time to train for sports. And as such, it's got a wider pool of people who are in it. And yeah, it's absolutely one of the more diverse programs. 
And I think that's a big part of why there's been so much emotion. I think that kind of surprised some of the people in the school district that there was that much emotion. But this is a program that has been around for almost 40 years that has absolutely connected with, you know, with black students and with Hispanic students and Cambodian Asian students in the community saying, well, this one's for us. You know, why would you cut this? Well, and and building off Mike's point, you know, we, we talked to... Uh to Willie McGinnis for the protest did work. The CIC magnet program is still in existence. We've gone through a few revamps in the two years since we first started this podcast. My hope is we will go through several more because that is how growth works. One of the growth spurts we have is how we present the podcast to you. When we first started, it was just an audio podcast. We did create some video clips that we would post on Instagram and sometimes on YouTube that were meant to entice you to go listen to the full show, but you couldn't watch it anywhere. It wasn't until the 2022 mayoral campaign that we moved from strictly audio and allowed you to watch the full podcast on YouTube as well. Our very first visual podcast began with mayoral candidate Susie Price. I have to be honest, it is definitely one of my favorites. As a journalist, it is our job not to show bias. Of course, this is a talk show, so I get to insert my opinion a little bit, but more times than not, you have to make a conscious effort to let go of any preconceived notions you have and make sure those do not come across in your work. But to my up-and-coming journalists out there, I have a personal tip for you. If you have strong opinions about a topic or a person, make sure you ask the tough questions right after the warm-up. These should be questions that give your guests an opportunity to change your mind. And if they do, embrace that and see what else you can learn throughout the course of the interview. If you are surprised, then your audience probably will be too. Based on the feedback I received, most of my audience saw a side of mayoral candidate Susan Price that they hadn't seen before, and so did I. In that same debate, and I've heard again heard you say this several times that you want to hold police accountable. But as I'm kind of reading more about you and learning about you in 2017, you know, your office prosecuted, moved forward with prosecuting gay men who were basically targeted by the police department um, and, and entrapped in this lewd conduct sting. That was basically illegal. And instead of really stepping up at that moment, and you you probably had more power to do that then as a prosecutor, say, no, we're not going to take this case because what you did was wrong. You guys should not be doing that. And you didn't. You moved forward with that. So how why didn't you hold them accountable then? And how can the people trust you to hold the police accountable now? The investigation started because residents in that community were calling their council representatives and saying there are condoms in the alleys, there are condoms in the parking lot, there's sex going on inside of this bookstore. And when this bookstore applied for a business license to be behind our home, we were insured as residents that there wouldn't be sexual activity there. So we want you as our council members to do something. The council then went to the police chief and said, this is true, when we adopted this bookstore, we did guarantee to everybody that there wasn't going to be sexual activity in the bookstore. So the Garden Grove Police Department, remember, I was in the homicide unit. I didn't even know this was going on, had an operation as a result of constituent concerns to investigate whether or not sex was happening in the bookstore. And sure enough, sex was happening in the bookstore. A case was filed and uh, by a DA that was in the Westminster Courthouse that was supervised by a different supervisor, not me. And by the time I got promoted in 2018, 
and got assigned to the Westminster Courthouse, the case had already been filed and it had already gone through a number of motions called Mergia motions. Mergia motions are the ones that in Long Beach, the court heard on a similar case arising out of a bathroom. The case in Long Beach did not proceed past the Mergia motions because the judge found that the conduct was discriminatory in nature. The Mergia motions that went through on this case before I even got to the court all su succeeded and the case proceeded to trial. It was assigned to a specific prosecutor and I had nothing to do with filing the case. The case was brought to my attention by the defense attorney. Her name is Stephanie Lofton. She's endorsing my campaign for mayor. And Stephanie asked if I would dismiss the case. And I said, given the history of this case and I didn't file it and it's assigned to a different prosecutor, I don't have authority to dismiss this case, but I can ask the district attorney but I can make you an offer that's lower. So I made her the lowest offer that I could, but she wanted the case dismissed. I forwarded the case to the district attorney. The district attorney reviewed the case and declined to dismiss it because it had been through so much litigation already, and the courts had said there was no discriminatory practice. The case went to trial, and the witness from the bookstore testified that the area where the sexual activity happens is a private area. It's not a public area, and only men are allowed to go back there. Well, one of the elements of that crime is that the area has to be open to the public. So that fact was different than what was in the police reports than it was at trial. The jury came back with a not guilty verdict, as they should have. I immediately met with the LGBTQ Center in Orange County. We devised a program whereby they would come and talk to law enforcement about cultural competence and LGBTQ matters. I prepared a curriculum for the police officer standards and training post training on the subject of LGBTQ cultural competence. That curriculum is under review and hopefully will be accepted. It will be the only and first cultural competence class that is offered for the LGBTQ community that is post-certified in the state of California. And then beyond that, I created a training for the Garden Grove Police Department, which I'm happy to share with you, that went through the rulings in the Long Beach case. And since I presented that training to them in April of 2020 via Zoom, they have not They've ceased that operation because it was in the middle of COVID right. when I did the training. They've ceased the operation and there has not been one case filed or one arrest made out of that operation. And I'm very proud of that. I, I did so much reading on you before, you know, this interview, but I don't think the reading did you any justice. Like sitting across from you right now and just seeing and, and literally your face lights up when you have these ideas about <laughs> things that can change people's lives. I don't know if you can tell, but I live for the tough conversations. I think we should always challenge the status quo. And at the same time, we should be open to having our thoughts and views challenged as well. This is how we grow. But sometimes those tough conversations aren't about challenging the status quo. They are about seeing a family in pain and wanting to help. When I first learned about the death of Maurice Colbert, it sounded very suspicious to me. He was a young, healthy man who went down to Mexico at Papa's and Beer. He has a shot and then he dies suddenly. My colleague, Fernando Haro Garcia, who was our crime reporter, felt the same. We tried everything we could to contact authorities in Mexico so we could investigate, but no one would talk to us. At one point, we even talked about going to Mexico to try to see if we could dig up something in person, but for safety reasons, we decided against it. So the only thing left to do was contact the family and allow them to tell their story and hope that the grief would inspire someone to come forward. But I would never want anybody to go through what we've had to go through 
and what we're still going through trying to get answers. And our son, it was not the first person that this has happened to. They continue to act as if his life or anyone's life doesn't matter because you're an American citizen. We're the probably the first family that's come forward to do anything or say anything or to make waves. Because like I said, you go down there to try, you, you're traumatized by the loss of your loved one. You get extorted to get them back. His life meant something not only to us, but to hundreds and other people that lives he had impacted. I cannot move on in my life even to grieve my son's death because I don't know what happened. I don't know who did this to him. I can't be angry at anybody because I have nobody to point my finger and say, why did you kill my son? And I just want the government, anybody, to do something so that nobody else has to lose their child or their loved one. Marvin, what about you? Do you have a message for parents whose kids might be just as headstrong and want to head down that way just well, to have some fun? you know, Maurice is 29 years old. He's an adult. We had shared our concern with, with him. I told him to be careful. I was uh, somewhat comforted because he was with uh, four other of his friends, and I thought, you know, of course, there was strength in numbers. Um, just be mindful of uh, what's happening and know where they are at all times. And then also, to have some resources, what happens in the worst-case scenario, right? You know, contact embassy, we did. Um, yes, you don't know. You're in a different country. You don't know the rules of uh, the road there. And so we've contacted the authorities. We've hired an attorney there. And we're looking at uh, looking at getting a, a possibly a, a different attorney because he's not been very responsive. I think his concern uh, to echo what the evangelist said that he encouraged us to go to the media to share our story. And then when I did, as you said, he didn't follow up with you. He didn't respond to your calls. And then he actually, in fact, told me that uh, I was bringing a lot of heat on him. And I didn't ask. I didn't understand at the time what he meant heat, but I assumed that was from, you know, maybe the, uh, you know. <laughs> The powers to be down there, whoever they may be. So we're looking at uh, seeking uh, possibly another attorney. Um, so yeah, we do need some support. Uh, anyone that uh, has any information, we also are looking for resources. You know, we had started a, a GoFundMe account so that we could get an attorney, and so we've paid this attorney, and we haven't gotten much, and so we're going to have to probably look at getting uh, another attorney to see if they can help us as well. He just lived his life to the fullest. He would go on nature walks, hikes, and even in his job, he would post different videos throughout his day of any nature or animals when he was out on his job just working. And I'm not saying it's because he was my son, but if anybody knew him, they said the same thing. I just miss him so much. And I bow to God and to my son. Then I'm not going to give up this investigation.
until I take my last breath. Hearing a mother's plea for help and her commitment to find justice for her son still sticks with me. The family is still looking for answers. So if you know anything, please get in touch with me or you can get in touch with the family at the link in the description. The loss of a child is never easy, but this next couple somehow took a loss of a child and turned it into a way to help others in their same situation. Sedona Juan de Guzman faced challenges from the moment she was born and was eventually diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Her parents, Amy Juan and Jonar de Guzman, fought to give Sedona the best life possible in her 17 months of life. After her death, they began to fight to help others navigate a confusing system at a difficult time and keep their daughter's legacy alive through the Sedona Butterfly Effect Foundation. For me, you know, I, I'm an attorney, but I also have my own technology company. And so on one hand, the attorney part of me was like, okay, let's find a way to like break through all the bureaucracy because mm -hmm. there is so much bureaucracy. And yes, there are a lot of resources provided by the state, but it's very hard to know what you're even entitled to, right? right. And, you know, we're both native English speakers for some other family where you know, if they, if English is not their first language or if they don't speak English or, you know, like I was able to take, you know, time off from my job to sit every day with her in the NICU for almost six months. But I saw a lot of other families, a lot of other moms who they couldn't, they had to do their jobs to, you know, put bread on the table to, um, you know, to watch their other kids because they might have other kids at home. Um, so I think our circumstances are particularly fortunate. And then, you know, the last part is just that, you know, because I have a background in technology, you know, we just thought that by combining, um, all our expertise, it would be very beneficial for families if they could hear all of, you know, how to advocate for their children from a lawyer's perspective, from a doctor's perspective, and then use technology to like amplify and scale that message. That was the goal to kind of help circle back and help people after Sedona had grown up. So when you're when you're thinking about the future like that, and, and that's a goal for later on in life, and then suddenly it becomes a goal right now, how do you navigate that mentally? Because it, it seems like she was, she was here for 17 months. Mm -hmm. And even sitting across from you guys right now and, and looking at your faces and both of you, obviously, and I know a child is so much joy. I don't have children of my own, but I have a goddaughter. That's my whole world. Um, but so just the joy that I feel radi feel radiating from you right now is so admirable. I, I you know, that you guys thank you just are just strong and pillars of light. And how do you how do you navigate that, though? How do you not take a mental break for self? and just kind of sit in that and process everything that's happened to you. But instead you guys are thinking about other people. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's, it's, it seems almost <laughs> counterintuitive, but there is this love that we have for her. And, you know, she had so much strength and I feel like that is now placed upon us to give to other people, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that like, yeah, we're still grieving. I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, there's times even like last night where I was like, you know, it's so strange she's gone. But like, 
I feel the strength that she had when she was here. It's like transferred into me, you know. I, you know, I said during my speech for the eulogy for 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 the funeral service that she may be gone, but her her energy lives on through all of us, and I think that has carried me through days after she passed away. But it feels even stronger now. Yes. And I don't know if you can feel it. But I definitely can. I, I, definitely I can, can even feel it. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I think that's what drives me. And you know, to your to answer your question, you asked a couple questions ago about like what motivates us. I mean, just our experience alone, like a doctor and a lawyer, we had problems navigating the system. What more for someone who's maybe a single mom mm-hmm. and she's not even in healthcare? Right. What for her? You know, and every kid. Every baby, every family deserves the best shot possible. That's what drives me, you know, and that's how I'm able to to channel, you know, a lot of that grief too. I transform it to this, to just giving the love and strength to like other people, and hopefully through this foundation that you know will will launch, we will be able to do that for you know now into well into the future. There's a link to all the podcasts mentioned today in the description. And if you think you can help the Colbert family or the Wanda Guzman family, please click the link, learn more and reach out to every single person who has come on the show to share their stories, their nonprofit and to help push for change. I personally want to say thank you so much, but we are not done yet. And there is more to come, including next week. We have John Malvo, a descendant of one of the black civil war soldiers who helped free slaves in Texas. And that brought about the Juneteenth that we know today. You will not want to miss the story about how he learned about his heritage and how we debate reparations. That will air on June 14th at 10 a.m. If there is one thing this show has taught me, it's tough conversations are needed. So I will end this podcast with an announcement of a bi-monthly show that is on the horizon. It's called The Conversation. The show is designed to take a deeper dive into stories impacting our community. Our first episode of The Conversation is about the N-word. I recently wrote a column about a white woman who is a leader in the food community using the N-word on several occasions with the excuse that she was just repeating what two black women said. So I called a few black leaders in the community to ask the question, Why do we as a people still use a word that is dripping with hate? The conversation didn't go anything like I thought it would, and it made me rethink some notions I had about how we move as a community. So make sure you are following us at lbpost.com and subscribe to our newsletters so you will be the first to know when the conversation will make its debut. Thank you so much for following the Word Podcast thus far. There is definitely more to come as we continue to grow. And remember, if you have to speak a word, make it a good one. Okay, let's go.